I'm starting to talk like you now. And, uh, <laughs> but from Southern California originally. And so uh, her pastor's wife thought we might make a good couple knowing our stories. And she sat on it for a year without asking us that we might be interested in seeing each other. And for her to do that would be a miracle of God. And she would tell you that. She can't keep anything a secret, but she did. And God was in it. And, and so we're very, very happy that God's put us together. And so wherever we go. Uh, when I brought her back to Tulsa after we had her honeymoon and moved her back, I told her on, on a Saturday night about 8 o'clock, oh, by the way, you're speaking tomorrow morning uh, at the church I was going to go speak to. I said, you got two or three minutes. I won't tell you what I'm speaking on. Get ready. And uh, she did. She did really well. God had spoke to her years ago about speaking and didn't know how this would ever happen, and, and now it's starting to happen. And so, honey, you got a good word for us tonight? Go right ahead. Well, I don't know if I have a good word, but I know God has a good word. So There you go. All I heard all week as I was getting ready to come here, because I've never been to your church, so I don't know how this feeds into it, was the word respect. He kept saying, share respect. Someone you might admire, um, just put them, don't put them on a pedestal, but you think highly of them. But sometimes when we're in situations, maybe with a boss or a leader, the president, government, whatever, we don't really respect that person as an individual, but you know what? God put them there anyhow, and we have to respect that. And I go back to when I was working back in Jersey. I worked for a gentleman who was, oh my, the most ungodly man I could have ever worked for for 10 years. But you know what? God put me there. He put me there for a reason, and that reason was to share the light of God. I made a nod in the natural respected him, but I had to respect him because God had him as my boss. And it's not just bosses, but it's our parents. It doesn't mean if you're young, respect your parents. Older, we still have to respect our parents if they're still alive. Marriage, we need to respect marriage because marriage is going out the window. We, there's a lot of things we can respect. But you know what? Respect God's name. So often we hear people using the Lord's name in vain. We need to respect it, and we need to correct those who don't respect his name and his word. Do not forget his word. Whatever is in his word in the Bible, we need to respect it. It's not something that was just put there just because. It's what we're to live by. It's what we're to live by. Respect the word. He kept bringing me back to Hebrews 13. Excuse me, Romans 13, starting verse 1 says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment to themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Just have respect where it's due and know that God has called you to respect everything that's been put forth. Good word, honey. Now give her a hand. That was good. When she spoke about uh, respecting people that may not respect you or our own belief systems, uh, years ago, I like to play golf and still do sometimes, and, and I was on the golf course, and God had just challenged me uh, a few days before that and said, don't ever let the last thing you hear in your ears when you're out in the public, never let the last thing you hear be a testimony of the devil. And I said, okay, well, what's that mean? He said, I want you to respond. Someone used the Lord's name in vain. You praise me. 
He said, I want the last thing they hear to be a testimony about me, not about the kingdom of darkness. So the very next day, I'm playing golf. And I'm out there with four, three pastors and myself in Tulsa. And we're on the ninth hole. And the first hole runs next to the ninth hole. And the guys are on the tee box. And they hit their balls. And this one guy hits his balls and just yells. And then on and on and on and on. Well, I didn't even think about it. I didn't have time to think. When he got done, I turned around and went, I just turned right around and went, Praise God, hallelujah. Jesus, I thank you. You're not the damner. You're the blesser. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessing the country. I'm blessing the golf course. And I just went on and on and on. We never heard another peep out of him the rest of the nine holes. I guarantee you that night at eight homes, my three, our four homes with the pastors and their four people, that was talked about. Amen. So when you're out there in public, let the last thing people hear is a testimony to Jesus, not a testimony to the devil. Amen. Well, you ready to get to the word tonight? Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9. Last summer, God started dealing with me about a subject. Uh, just started speaking to me about it and continued to and hasn't stopped this whole year. I believe uh, not only from my life and other people's lives and yours here tonight as well, I believe it's a prophetic word for the body of Christ that we're, we're headed, uh, some great things that lie ahead for us. And so as I speak this word night, as I got prepared to come here, we're coming back from Jersey. We drove out to Jersey because we had to do some things at Shore House and had to take a full car with us, so it wasn't thing you put on an airplane. So we're driving back, and it worked out for us to be here with you guys, which we're thankful for. It's good seeing you that we know, and Pat, Pastor Bill and Pam, and Lori over here, precious Lori. And uh, my wife had a special place in her heart for you, know, for you and with you. And then Pastor John and Elizabeth, aren't they doing a great job leading the church? Amen. Give them a hand. Amen. And so, coming back, it worked out for us to be here. I believe this has been God-ordained. Amen. What I want to talk to you tonight is about transitioning to your next prophetic moment. This is the word God continues to speak to me. And have me tweak this a little bit for tonight. Transitioning to your next prophetic moment. And I want to just give you off the bat here. The word transition means many things, but it's pretty simple. And Webster's Dictionary simply means this. Just listen to this. Passage from one state or stage subject, or place to another. In other words, move from point A to point B. A movement, a development, an evolution from one form, stage, or style to another. In other words, things aren't going to stay the same. Something's going to change. He goes on here and says, and I, I like this, an abrupt change in energy, in the energy state or the energy level, usually, listen to this one, accompanied by loss or gain of more energy. In other words, when people transition, when God transitions, during the transition phase when God's doing things, some people lose heart and lose energy, while other people gain energy and gain heart. Now, when God's transitioning people, ministries, churches, our lives, the Bible says we go from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and glory to glory. Amen? So the next phase in our life, the next transition, the place we're in transition to is going to be better than where we just came out of. Amen. And so as God started dealing with me about this last summer, the first thing he said to me was simply this, uh, would you be willing to change what you're doing? And I said, well, of course I would. I just have to know that you're the one calling me to do something different. I've, I've been doing what I'm doing today for the last 20-some years, and it fits me like a glove. It's, it's almost effortless. I mean, it, it's, when, you're, when you're in the place you're called to, there's a flow, there's giftings. It works. 
and it's been working all these years. And I said, well, sure, but I've got to know it's you. He said, would you really be willing to change if I transitioned you? I said, sure I would. I did it 30 years ago. I can do it again. He said, but would you leave it? He kept, just push, kept pushing at me. And I said, well, yeah, I would. He said, would you leave your job that you have right now at your church? Would you leave your church? Would you leave Tulsa? Would you leave? And I said, as long as I know you're in it, I would. And then he said this to me. How many years do you think you have left on the earth that are what we would call good and productive years? And I said, well, I don't know the number. I'm leaving for a long life. But I'd say looking at my life, at that time I was 58. Since then I've gotten older. I'm 59. Uh, <laughs> more mature. And so anyway, in doing all that, I said, uh, I, said 15 to 20, I think I got at least 15 to 20 good productive years left, if not more. And uh, he said, are, in what you're doing today, if you continue that next 15 or 20 years, will that enable you to reach the most possible people that you could ever reach with the gospel? And I said, you know, I don't know that, only you do. He said, exactly. He said, but would you be willing to do something different? And he put it in light of that. I said, well, yeah, I would. Now, he took me to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to take you there. And if you're there already, look here with me in verse, in, in verse 37. We'll start there. Let's go to verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So he had compassion. He saw them not organized and scattered. And he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenty, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Now let me ask you the question. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Who is Lord of the harvest? Jesus is. So he's telling his disciples, pray that the Lord of the harvest, well, he is the Lord of the harvest. So what I believe he's saying to them, guys, you and I can't do all this work in the earth. It is too big for us. We're not enough. So you need to pray that I send more people into the harvest field so we can get this job done. It comes across a whole lot differently when you see it that way, isn't it? So he understood that him and the 12 disciples were not enough to get it done. More people were needed. And so he was transitioning their thoughts because they were getting close to him, learning from him. Things were working pretty well. But then he brought this up to them. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers. He would send laborers into the harvest fields. See? And so that was a transitional moment for them to think, okay, he wants to expand the group of 12. I can imagine Peter, James, and John, the inner three, probably said, oh, are our little group's going to get bigger now? And it probably caused some rumblings among the disciples. But when you look what Jesus did after that, he found 70, sent them out two by two. We see it in the upper room. And now there's literally millions of followers across the globe preaching the word of God. Amen. But he had to transition their thinking. He had to get them out of what they were used to doing and give them a new thought. And the new thought was, we need to send more people out into the harvest fields. Amen. And so when God starts talking to you about transitioning, talking to us about transitioning, it brings with it new thoughts, new ideas. For instance, if you've been sick and you've been believing God to be healed, but you're still sick, you've got to transition from sickness to health. Uh, if you're here tonight and, you've, and you're not even born again, uh, and you say, how would this apply to me? This will encourage you that there is a God out there who loves you. If you've been saved for five years or less, this message will help you knowing that you're not stuck where you're at right now. And if you've been this for a long time in the church, born again, spirit-filled, this will help 
you see, by God's help, are you stuck where you're at? And is God trying to unstick you, trying to move you on to the next place? Many of us, when we go to something new, we drag the old with us. You can't do that. The old will hold you back from the new. When you go to something new, you have to cut off the old. Cutting off the old can be painful, particularly when the old was good. You can be comfortable. Say you work a job, you worked the last 20 years. You mean you know the job. You've got a thing just working. And then God says, hey, I've got something different for you to do. Initially, that brings resistance because you're comfortable. If things are working, why would I change now? I've worked all my life to get to this spot, and here we are, and now you want me to start over? Listen, when God says start over, he has seen the ending before he told you the start. And he's never failed at anything. So if he's showing you the end of it before, I mean, he's showing you the start before he shows you the end, that means it's going to be successful if you obey him. And the only thing you have to do, and and he spoke this to me recently uh, about some things he's talking to me about. He said, Jerry, you don't have to pay for anything. All you have to do is believe. You know, when God calls you to something, it brings money with it. That's needed. Cost. Dollars. It takes money to run a church tonight. The air conditioning. We're thankful there's air conditioning. There's microphones. You know, we can see each other. Be comfortable. Amen? So, so ministry takes money. Well, it's not your job to, to bring the money forth. That's God's job. It's your job to believe him, what he's told you to do, and then he'll bring the money to support that, as long as you obey him as, as he leads you in that. So money's not the driving force. You're believing this. See? Uh, let me ask you this question. How many of you, say, in the last couple of months, there's been a stirring on the inside of you in some area of your life to transition to something different, something new God's, God's asking you to do? Let me see your hands. Keep them up. Wow. At least 60 to 70% of the people here tonight are sensing that already. See? God is speaking to us. Are we hearing? Are we listening? Are we going to obey? Is God wanting to move you and transition you to your next prophetic moment? We can make all excuses why we shouldn't go, why we shouldn't do it. But if God's speaking to you, listen to this, and you're stuck in success, and it's working, and you're not one to unstick yourself, that season of success will change. And suddenly, it won't be easy to do it anymore. He'll lift his grace off of it. It'll be harder to do it. In fact, when you think about doing it, it'll be kind of yuck, yuck, yuck. As Marilyn Hickey would say, there's no motivation, there's no energy to it. And that's one way of knowing that God's maybe trying to get a hold of you to do something different. Now, I'm going to say this, and then I'll show you a short video here. Transitioning to your next prophetic moment does not and is not talking about your past. Everything in your past up to today has prepared you for that next prophetic moment in your life, whatever that is. And we'll show you some people of God in the Bible in a few minutes how they transition from one prophetic moment to another, to another, to another. Had they not gone through every phase, they wouldn't become the men and women of God they became. They wouldn't have done the things they did in the Bible. Jesus wouldn't have done the things. He transitioned himself continually while he was here on the earth with us. And, and I heard a man say this in the midst of all this. God put this businessman in front of me. Uh, and he said this, and I'll never forget because right when he was talking about to me about transitioning, this man who's an entrepreneur said almost nobody stays in the same job their entire lifetime. And I started really thinking about that. You know, that day's pretty much gone. There's still a few around, but not many. 
How many of you have only worked one job your whole life? Raise your hand. Okay, there's one. There's two. See, now, 30 years ago, it had been just the opposite. A lot of hands would have gone up. So that's transitioning now. That's not as common as it used to be. So when I heard him say that, I started thinking, that's true. Then I started thinking about in terms of the kingdom of God and ministry and how many people get started in ministry and do well and then never go on the next step because they're so successful what they do here, they're not willing to move on to something that would then go bigger. Now, some people say bigger isn't better. It is if bigger represents people. See? All these years, I've got pastors who like to bail out of their churches and start traveling in ministry thinking it's more glamorous, and they find out they're not called to it and it doesn't work. Then I got traveling ministers after a while that want to become pastors because they think it's, it's, there's more stability. And they find out you just don't try, try ministry, you don't try to pastor, you don't, they understand later after failing to trying, you don't try ministry, you're called to it or you're not called to it. God puts it in your heart, it burns inside of you, it's what drives you and motivates you, whatever it is. And so we don't try things. That's a sure, a sure sign of failure. And we can't make excuses. As Christians, we hear the voice of God, the Bible says, that sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and a stranger's voice we're not going to follow. So when God starts transitioning us, we've got to be willing to hear a different word inside of us that we haven't heard before. And, and so in understanding that, uh, guys, go ahead and run this video. I want to show this to you to help us be motivated not to do what you're about to see. I got a, got a big butt. your Bible with me to Isaiah. You're already there. Uh, Bible open. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Let's go there while, while, while they're getting this ready. Isaiah chapter 50. Technology is great, isn't it? Thank God for it. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakes me morning by morning. He wakes mine ear to hear as the learned. Notice the first part of that verse says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Do you see that? When God's transitioning you from one thing to another, you will suddenly know things no one else knows about that thing. Years ago, God asked me to do two things. Um, I walked into the back of a meeting, a leadership conference at Victory. I was coaching my son's uh, fifth grade basketball team. I had warm-ups on, sat, sat in the back. And I think Pastor Bill was up with a group of men with Pastor Bill and Joe. And they were kind of the leadership of VFM. They said, we've decided we're going to hire a full-time director for VFM. It's time for it. So I want you all to pray for us that we hear from God and get the right person involved. Well, as soon as they said that, God spoke to me and said, I want you to write a letter to Pastor Bill and Joe and share your heart about VFM with him. And I said, right to God sitting there, I said, I don't have a heart towards VFM. He said, just write. <laughs> so I wrote a short little letter. Two other men wrote letters as well. I wasn't trying to get anything. And found out later, Bill just told me later, that was word for word, really, the, what, is, what was in his heart towards it. And, but I didn't know that. And then God spoke this to me. Right after you said that, that same moment, he said to me, and start volunteering your time there. I said, what's that mean? Well, I was working at Victory Christian School, 
you know, where John went to school. And uh, he said, when you're done, he said, you know, you work from there, from there about 7.30 to 3.30, 4 o'clock. And when you're done there, come over to the VFM office, just ask him what can you do to help him. I said, well, okay. So I started doing that. And then I'd go home for dinner and go back and just volunteer in the office and get things done. Well, the first day I walked in there, I suddenly saw things no one else saw. I heard things no one else seemed to hear. I could solve problems without even making a phone call to anybody. And these two ladies who were volunteering, they looked at me and they went, how are you doing this? I said, doing what? What you're doing? We can't do that stuff. I said, I think it's called the anointing. And <laughs> it's not me doing it. I don't know these things at all. Well, I started learning. And then later, he asked, I kept volunteering. He asked me, I remember the night I got a call from Billy Joe. And he said, uh, I think I can believe for you to have a part-time salary in what you're doing with VFM. What do you think? I said, well, sure, I'd be willing to get paid for this on a part-time basis. And then later, he asked me to pray about becoming the director of it, me and my wife, and we did. God said do it. Now, here's, now here's when you know it's God, okay? The leadership that even Pastor Bill's a part of, they looked and saw us volunteering in VFM, getting paid for that, getting paid at the school, and they talked about possibly me being the, the director at that same salary level. These two salaries together, that's where I would start. When Pastor Billy Joe brought me the offer, he didn't do it that way. He offered me what I was making at the school by itself. So I had to be one, and I didn't know that up front. And he just said, go pray, see if God wants you to do it. I came back and said, God wants, wants me to do it. So he made the offer that was $12,000 less than what I was currently making. Now, four kids, and you're going to tell your wife you're going to take on and transition to something that's $12,000 less. It's not what she wanted to hear. And she said, well, I thought this was a promotion from God. And she brought up the faith to faith and the strength to strength and all that kind of stuff. And I said, it is. But we're going backwards. I said, no, we're not. I said, you're just not getting it up front. I said, God's told us to do this. You prayed, I prayed, said do it. So that means more money's coming in. Well, in the next 12 months, over $15,000 came in over the top. So we came out $3,000 ahead than had they matched the other thing with no strings attached to it. Are you hearing me? So you don't transition based on money. Most people, when they transition in jobs, they take a new job based on money and move to the city that job takes them to. Why not move to the church you're supposed to go to first and watch the job follow you? That actually happens when people seek God. What church does he want you to go? In what city? Your spiritual life is more important to him than your natural life. Because your spiritual life will, will build his kingdom. See, instead of you building your castle. We talked about that today, me and Pastor John did here. And so what are you building? The kingdom of God or are you building your own castle? If you constantly have building your castle, you may or may not get it. But you may do it at the expense of what you're called to do, what you've been created to do. All right? You were born to be saved. You were saved to serve God, say, somewhere. And so we've got to be willing to move. When God moves. Not move ourselves, but when God is moving us. And I believe right now, one thing God has spoken to me is 2013 is a year of transition throughout the body of Christ. He's putting people in position. Now, I showed you Matthew 9. Hang on there. In Matthew 9, I showed you he's putting them there in position based on your position in the harvest fields. How God is positioning you for your next assignment in the harvest field was how he'll transition you and where he'll transition you to. So if you're using harvest fields in one area and now you've farmed that harvest field and it's farmed out and you're still trying to farm a crop that's been harvested, there's no more success in it. You've got to find a different harvest field, the one God has for you. Many people fail in ministry because they never find their harvest fields. They go work in other people's fields. Find the one you're called to. 
Churches get in trouble doing that because they end up taking on someone else's harvest field they weren't called to for a lot of different reasons. Find the harvest field you're called to. If you've worn one out and you've harvested it and you know it's been done, then look at what's next. Ask God, what is next? Where's the next place you're taking me? And in doing that, that's going to break up a lot of questions. But no, when he's transitioning you, it's based on your position in the harvest fields. And when he positions you, you'll harvest more people for him and affect more people in a good way when, you'll, when you're in the place he wants you to be. Amen? When that happens, then you don't do this. I got a, got a big butt. It's gigantic, if I'm going to be blunt about it. And you know what? The funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before you before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But I gotta tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest butt can distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, well, ah, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading His Word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden the big giant butt gets in the way. A butt much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired, but the game's over, but I read last Tuesday, but I gotta check Facebook, but I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here, but I, I just don't like books, but I don't understand it, but it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are, ugly, ugly butts. Okay, and there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. But that's not my gift. That's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friend. But, 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 but. Here a butt, there a butt. Everywhere a butt butt. Okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on. We have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word. Okay? If we learn it, and we share it, and we teach it, and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt. Okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay, it's time to, metaphorically speaking, snap into a Slim Jim. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it if we start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... Yeah. I think you get it. 
Whenever God challenges you with a word to transition you, that word's going to get in the way. And you've got to deal with it and face it. All right? So we put something new in your heart and continue speaking to you about it, and you cannot get away from his voice. You can't, every time you turn around, there it is facing you. And you have to understand God's never failed at anything. He's successful at everything he does. So he's asking you to do something different. He sees you being successful in it. You don't have to come up with the buildings, the land, the equipment, the funds, the money, whatever. All you have to do is believe what he's telling you to do and start doing it, and all the provision will come to you. He'll show you how to put your hands on the provision. It'll come. And the only thing that will hold you back is you. The devil can't stop you. God won't stop you. He's asking you to do it. You've got to get rid of the butts. And not make excuses why you can't do it and say, well, I get all... Listen, if you're one of these people who says, I've got to get all my ducks in order, you'll never do it. Because right. I guarantee the devil will make sure one duck's out of order. Yeah, right. And that'll keep you from the will of God for your life. Yeah. I know people even back at our church at Victory. I know one couple. They've been called to pastor now for over 20-some years, and they're still not doing it. And the reason is because she doesn't want to start small, wants to start in a big church with a big salary, big benefits in a big city. And that's never going to happen. That's not where you start. And because of that, they've never started. And he's the most frustrated man on the face of the earth that has now talked himself and himself all the butts that it's okay because he's been able to raise a nice family and keep his wife happy. And the whole time, he's missing the will of God. And he's miserable on the inside. See? When you make a quality decision, and that's one of those you won't go back on, you'll stay with, to do what God wants you to do next, whatever that next is for you, then things start in motion. You remember talking about, hearing from the Bible, about Abraham and Isaac? Remember the story? He takes Isaac up to offer him a sacrifice. What most people don't talk about is the ram. We talk about the ram showing up, caught in the thicket, as the sacrifice, so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. We know about Abraham's faith and all that, but let me tell you something, there's another side of the story. The ram was on a journey. The ram wasn't in that position at that place by that altar in that thicket. It was somewhere else. And when Abraham's faith showed God that he was going to obey him, that ram started its journey towards Abraham. If Abraham doesn't do exactly what he does, the ram stops, turns, and goes away and never comes back. Because Abraham obeyed God fully, the ram showed up at the perfect time in the perfect place so he didn't have to offer his son up. In other words, your provision to do what you're called to do next, it's on its way to you based on your obedience to God. Philippians 4.19. God showed me this in reference to transitioning. But my God shall supply all of our need, your need according to his riches, glory in Christ Jesus. Most of you know that by heart. Uh, just break it down real simply, just the first part of it. But my God shall supply. Listen to this. God is the supplier. He has all the money, the buildings, the land, everything you have need of, he already has it. It's in his hands. Say, well, this man in the world owns it. No, if God wants it in your hand, he'll, he'll, he'll do things in, the, in that man's life to get it into your hand. At Victory in Tulsa, we own land that Earl Roberts said he'd never sell. But through a series of events, he sold it to us. And we built there. God will hide your stuff. He'll put it in the hands of sinners to keep it for you. But when it's time for you to have it, he'll bring it right to you. And he'll open up your eyes and you'll see And there it is. That'll be that ram that you couldn't see. But that ram won't come. That provision doesn't come unless you obey God and whatever you're supposed to do next. Amen.
And as you start moving towards it, then the provision starts moving towards you. If you stop and quit, it goes away. And you'll never even know how close it was to you. I can tell you people who were so close, I believe, to starting ministries and doing great things for God. And the last minute they quit. And just that provision was right there. And they'd taken one more step that I had, and they didn't. It never came. And then they, they blame God. Well, God didn't want me to do it. No, he wanted you to do it. You just didn't take the final step. To do things in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a little bit persistent, a little tough-skinned, and be willing to listen to the word no from people and not be affected by it with a smile on your face. Because people don't know what you know concerning you. So when God tells you to do something, other people will not understand it. But you understand it because of right where you've come from and your life experiences and where you're at with God, and it'll make sense to you. It'll fit you like a glove. Amen? And so understanding this, in transitioning to our next prophetic moment, we have to understand that in transitioning, everything prior to what we were transitioning to has put us in a position to transition to something greater. Let me give you an example. David. Think about David for a minute. He starts as a shepherd boy, tending sheep, where no one can see him. He's not on a platform preaching. He's out in the hills with the sheep, doing the stinking work of a shepherd, tending to them, taking care of them, make sure that they're eating, they're watered, doing all that, right? God. Now, while he's doing that, he kills a couple of things. What does he kill? A lion and the bear. How does he kill them? With his hands. Now, do you, do you kill lions and bears with your hands? No. How did he do it? He was supernaturally endowed by God to do it. We'd call that the anointing or the presence and power of God. So because he had God's presence and power, he was able to kill two animals that should have killed him with his bone bare hands. Amen. I don't think, I know in Oklahoma they don't have, we have bears in southeast Oklahoma, they have in Jersey. There's not much bear around here, but I know in southeast Oklahoma when they have bear hunting season, there's no such thing as bear hunting season with your bare hands. It's either bow and arrow or gun. Do they have that here? Bear hunting with your bare hands? You need a license for that? I didn't think so. No one does that. Now we see David next, and he's a cheese boy. When we see him before he hears Goliath's challenge, he was bringing cheese to the army of God, serving them cheese and water. The Bible declares it. He hears Goliath's challenge, and now he becomes a warrior and kills Goliath and all four of his brothers. Most people stop there. You remember there was how many stones? Five. Goliath was one of four, five brothers, and he went and killed the other four after he killed Goliath. Most people don't know that. That's why he had five stones. All right? And so here he is becoming now a warrior. After he killed Goliath and the brothers, now they elevate him to a national warrior. He led the, the army of Israel, and then after he led them for a while, he became a king. Are you with me? Being the shepherd taught him how to use his bare hands under the anointing of God. He was a cheese boy that overheard something that made him a warrior. He was a good at a warrior long enough. He became a national warrior. And after doing that well, he became a king. He, if he hadn't been willing to be the cheese boy, he'd never been the king. That's where God says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Everything in God's kingdom starts small. In God's kingdom, smallness contains greatness. In God's kingdom, smallness contains greatness. Think about everything you see out in the world. It all starts with a seed of some sort. An apple tree. An apple, one apple seed can grow a tree that produces thousands of, ap of apples in its lifetime. Amen? Uh, the animal kingdom. Even we as human beings reproduce by a seed being sown. See? So God is the seed maker. 
and he knows how to put life in the seed. So when you give your money in offerings, look at your money differently. That money you're giving has life in it. When it's given in faith, according to the Word of God, there's a life that comes in that money that that money then attracts resources back to you based on the Word of God and your faith. And I said, God is a distributor. He's a supplier of everything, and he distributes out what's needed based on obedience. Amen. And as you obey God, then more is given out because you'll need more to accomplish his will for your life. And what most people don't understand is transitioning isn't going to transition transition you to smallness. In time, it's going to do something greater than you've ever done before in your life. I was a college baseball coach, and God asked me to transition out of there, go to Bible school, and travel the world and preach the gospel. I didn't know how I would do it, but I left and said yes. Now, looking back on it, and this, this is just to give God glory, had I not done that, there's literally thousands of people today that wouldn't probably be saved or wouldn't be saved by our, by our ministry that wouldn't have been healed or delivered, restored if we had not obeyed God in it, see? And so we help build his kingdom by saying yes to him. And so don't look at yourself as insignificant. Well, what can I do? If you reach one person, if we all reach one person, it would take just a few days to get the world done. Think about it. So we all need to do our part. And, and that's why God's put you on the earth. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. God has a plan for you that only you can do. I'm not like you. You're not like me. We're different. Amen? And that's good. He likes variety. In fact, when I was studying this thing on transition, one of the things he was showing me uh, towards this was uh, the uniqueness of people. Well, we all know we have different fingerprints, right? There's no two snowflakes alike. Let's talk about people. Fingerprints are different. Your retinas are different. Your voice print is different than anybody else on the earth. When I studied this, I didn't realize this, and I learned this. Your heartbeat is different than anybody else on the earth. No one has the heartbeat you have. Isn't that unique? And when he showed me the heartbeat was different, everybody had a unique heartbeat, and then, of course, that blew up into, Jerry, not only do they all everybody have a different heartbeat, everybody has a different calling, a different serving, a different ministry that I've called them to do. You may have two people that are called to teach, but how they teach is different. They don't teach the same. And because they're different, they reach different people. Amen? And, and see, so we understand the differences are good. God uses that to attract the people we're to reach. I'm reaching people you're not going to reach, and you're reaching people I'll never reach. And God loves that. And he's got, he knows who can reach who. Think of the people God used to reach you with the gospel. All the people that were praying, speaking to you. Every time you turned, you saw God. He knew all that and brought you to a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So as we're being led and transitioning, we have to understand that God sees all that. Now go back to Isaiah 50 for a moment. Uh, you have the tongue of the learned. Whatever he's called you to, you're going to know things. Uh, verse 5, Lord God has opened my ear. I am not rebellious, neither turn away back. In other words, when God speaks to your inner ear, I need to write a book on that, the, 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 the hearing ear. When he speaks a spoken word to you, and he can speak any way he wants to, through his word, through a lot of ways. But the spoken word lines up with the written word. There's nowhere in this Bible that tells me to be in Lafayette, Indiana tonight. But it does say, go and preach throughout the whole world. So I had to hear a word from God in order to even come here. And then in calling your pastor, he had to hear a word from God to confirm I should come. See? And we both heard the same thing, and that's why I'm here. Amen. See, that's how God works. 
He talks to everybody involved in the situation in order to bring his will to pass in our lives. He goes on here and says, uh, I, gave back, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off my hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. There's going to be people coming against what you're called to do. Verse 7, for, for the Lord God will help me. When you're transitioning, you have to understand he'll transition you from where you're at to where you're going, and he knows how to help you get there. Things you don't see now. Say, well, I'm in a place where this economy is this way. He wants to transition me over here. But I cannot do that over here. There's not enough money. Well, he's not asking you to use your money that's got you here. When you say yes and go there, there's going to be new money. See how we get the butts in the way? See? Well, I only make $35,000, and that place requires at least, you know, 120, and they're not transferring on my job. Well, maybe you're getting a new job. Amen. See? Or a new thing to do for God in the church. Think about this for a minute. Well, I got debt at 20 years. You're one encounter from God away, one check away from having all your debt erased. What if you had no debt, money wasn't a problem, people weren't a problem, family wasn't a problem, what would you do with God? Not for God. Don't work for the man. Never work for God. Work with God. There's a huge difference. He wants to work with you. He wants to work with us. See? Uh, verse 8, he is near that justifies me. He will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. We need God's help, help when we're transitioning. We need his help in everything. Amen? Uh, think for a moment with me with... Uh, about David. Let's go to Joseph. We went to Branson and saw through the sight and sound theater there. There's right now putting on the life of Joseph. And uh, if you're in Branson, it's really great. I don't know if one of Lancaster is or not, Pennsylvania. Is it Joseph? But anyway, it's a great depiction of Joseph. Well, Joseph, you know, his brothers, with his help, threw him in what? The pit. Now, here's this great man of God that ends up in a pit. I call it the three Ps. So he's in the pit. From the pity, he graduates to the prison. How many of you, if God said to you, okay, your graduation, your next transition moment, I'm going to take you from where you're at, and it's not all that good, to a worse place. Would you go? Sometimes the way doesn't give you choice. He'll just throw you there. So he's, he's in the pit. He goes to prison and ends up in the palace. If he wasn't one to sit in the pit, he never would have made it to prison. Because he was, he got to prison. If he had not been one to go to prison, he never would have made it to the palace. He had experienced all that, and all those experiences got him ready. So when he went to the palace, he was a different Joseph in the palace than he was in the pit. He was a different Joseph in the palace than he was in prison. Are you hearing me? So every experience he was thrown at that God had him go through prepared him to become what? In the palace, to become the leader. But he didn't get there overnight. He walked through some things to get there. And so when you walk through things, what happens is when you walk through things that don't seem to line up, everything just doesn't kind of flow, there's a little irritation, you know, people coming against it. That's all processing you, making you into a stronger person to get you ready for that spot he has for you. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm the type of person that God just made me this way. Uh, I don't mind, mind plowing unfilled, uh, unplowed fields. I had to do that as the athletic director of Victory Christian School, get it ready to go into the public school arena. That doesn't bother me. I learned as an athletic director, half the people, well, a third of the people didn't like what I did, a third did, and a third didn't care. So I had two-thirds that either didn't care or weren't with me. I had a third that was with me. So that prepared me for what I was doing, going to do next, to be the director of VFM. 
Because, listen, I handle many times difficult situations between churches and ministers, staffs, and I don't mind confrontation. It doesn't bother me. My wife, my, my first wife, she hated confrontation. She'd bail on it. I, I almost thrive on it. I don't look for it, but it, doesn't, it, it does not stop me. I can sit there with two people just you know, want to kill each other and have them walk out hand in hand. How, how do you do that? You don't do it in yourself. That's God doing that. See? I was in that first VFM office first day in there. This, this man was cussing out the volunteer woman on the phone. She'd put it loud here, and I could hear him screaming. She had enough, and she's top. She's going to scream back, and she's getting the face is getting red. It's coming up. She's about ready to blast. I said, "Why don't you let me take it?" <laughs> I took it. He blasted on me. Got all done. I said to him, "Is there anything else?" He went off again. He got done. I said, "Is there anything else?" He went off again. "Is there anything else?" He said, "No, that just about says it." And I spoke to him. I didn't speak to him. He uh, asked for forgiveness for how he acted on the phone to me and towards the woman. And prayed with me and got right with God. I hung up and ladies and officers with their mouths were down and hitting the floor. And she said, how did you do that? And I said, what do you mean how did I do that? She said, I could see, your, I could see fire in your eyes, but milk and honey came out of your mouth. I said, that's called the anointing. My flesh wanted to fire back. But I operated in the anointing to put my flesh down and let God operate through me. And how would God treat this person? He wouldn't have blasted back. There's some, listen, I told her, there's something wrong in his, that guy's life, and you're not the cause of it, and I'm not the cause of it. Some, something else is. See? So what I'm saying to you, transition with God won't go without being challenged. But God is big enough to accept any challenge you're going to face. And he'll use the challenges to get you ready to be stronger in the place he has for you. Amen? Amen. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 with me. I'm sorry, chapter 1, Deuteronomy 6. Is this helping anybody tonight? Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, the Lord our God spoke unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn and take your journey. Go to the mount of the Amorites, to all the places nigh thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, the vale, south, by the seaside, Laying the Canaanites into Lebanon to the great river, river Euphrates. Now, that's a lot in verse 8. What I want you to see is what happens in verse 6. You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. God is saying to his body right, to, right now, unless you're just positioned right where you're supposed to be, saying stay, not move. He's basically right now speaking to, the, to his body, the body of Christ, to move into position and take our place in the harvest field for what's about to come. 2014, I believe, is going to be a pivotal year in the world and in the kingdom of God. Some big things are about to happen in the world, and he's getting us in position in the world, so when it happens, we're there and can take the ministry to the place it needs to go to help these people. And so 2014, prophetically, I'm speaking to you, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an explosive year in the world of natural things, and it's going to be explosive in the kingdom of God. So we've got to be in the right spots, doing the right things. And he's moving people this year getting them in position, ready for it. He's moving individuals, ministries, churches, changing leadership, cutting off the old, getting other people to go to the new, and bringing up new leadership. Why? Because of what's coming. So he has more people out in those fields, see? So in understanding that, when you've been successful going around that mountain, there's a tendency not to want to go anywhere else but keep going around the mountain. And he's saying, you've been doing this long enough. Come on, it's time to go somewhere else. 
What if they hadn't gone away from the mountain and stayed there? We wouldn't have seen everything else that happened to their, you know, in their lives, how things had changed. Now, when he gave them all this stuff in verse 7, all those, verse 7 and 8, all that is is specific direction to where they're to go next. Forget about the Canaanites and all that, the Lebanon. Just look, it's specific direction. So when God tells you to transition from where you're at to someplace else, he'll talk to you specifically where you're going and how to get there. Are you hearing me? He did not going to tell you not to know something or do something. You're going to know. He's going to direct your path, and you're going to see where to go. He'll give you enough instruction to get you started down the road. And as you go, things will open up. And he said to them in verse 8, when they got there, possess the land. Well, they didn't own the land. He, he didn't say they owned it. He said possess it. You don't have to own anything to possess it. Sometimes you don't need to be the owner of something. You need to, just need to have access to it. Now, that's a new thought for a lot of people in faith. You don't have in faith have to own everything. Somebody else can own it, but if you have access to it, that's as as if you owned it. I'll give you two examples of this. I feel to share. Uh, My pastor, Pastor Billy Joe, he was alive. One time asked me to go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina with him. He's going to do a preaching thing on Thursday night and Friday morning. We got got to the airport and fly Delta, and he said, we might get a call that the private jet may become available. We had a businessman in our church that allowed him, Pastor Sharon, to use the private jet when it wasn't in use, and the business paid for the jet, paid for the fuel, the pilots, not a dime came out of Victory's pocket to do that. He said, we might get a call that the jet has become available. If we do, we'll just go from here to there, probably go home and eat lunch at my house first and come back. I said, fine. We're on the tarmac getting ready to get on a Delta jet. Here came the phone call. And the phone call came. He stopped, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, stop and don't get on the plane. He turned and said, the jet's ready. Let's go home and have lunch at my house. We'll get back on the jet. Well, we flew on a Citation too. You know, no waiting. We drove up to the airport, got out of the car, no security, walked right on the plane and, and rode there. Just, you know, this Citation 2 is made for like 10 people. It's just beautiful. They, they land on the airport strip. We don't even see. It's right next to downtown Chapel Hill. And I'm thinking, this sucker stopping that short? <laughs> I mean, it's just one little piece of pavement. But, yeah, it stopped, turned on a dime, and uh, left us there and came back and picked us up later. And, and when we was flying on the way out there, Pastor Pudgeo looked at me and said, how do you like this, Jerry? And I said, I'll tell you what, i got a new vision for travel. <laughs> and if you want to introduce me to the owner, he started laughing. And I said, I said, I said you're not going to do that, are you? He said, no, I'm not. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I like to play golf. A friend of mine I met in the church, I called him out of the service one time. I gave him a prophetic word of God. I told him his business would double the next 28 days, not to, not to sell the business. And I told him a group of investors wanted him to sell the business. I never met the man before in my life. So I told him, 30 days, your, your business is going to double. Don't sell the business. Tell the investors not to sell. He calls me on day 28. Jerry, what you prophesied? Yeah, it didn't happen. How many days has it been, I said. He said, 28. I said, well, it's got, God's got two more days. He said, no, you don't understand. You said it double. I said, well, yeah. It didn't double. It quadrupled in 28 days. I'm calling to give you a good report. The investors held on to the money and to the company. Had they sold the company when they wanted to, they... It was sold for $750,000. They held on to it. He took this time was a tape. They had tapes back then. They listened to the tape, and he said, he said, the man of God said not to sell. We're not selling, and they didn't. Nine years later, they sold it for over $13 million, and I didn't get a finder's fee. <laughs> I told him, next time I want one. Well, I like to play golf. This man has, has a membership to Oak Tree in Edmond, Oklahoma. 
That's where the 2014 Senior PGA will be. It was there in 2007. Six pros play there. It's a gorgeous, most difficult course I've ever played on, I think. I can play there with him. He has an element at Twin Hills in Oklahoma City. It was built the same time Southern Hills was. I have access to two beautiful golf courses, and I don't have an ownership in either one of them. But I have access. So don't think you've got to own it. Don't wait on owning it. All you need is access. And God can give you access to anything he wants you to have access to. Amen? I mean, think how good God is. I love to play golf, and I've got access to beautiful golf courses I don't pay a dime for. And when I go play golf with him, he pays for the golf. I've never paid for a meal with him. We never have, have we? He pays for everything. That's part of his given to our ministry. Transition will bring you promotion. Promotion will bring you satisfaction, fulfillment, because you'll do things no one else can do, and you'll see the harvest coming to you, and you'll just be sitting there going, look at what God's doing in me and through me. See? You can possess things you've never possessed before if you follow God right. Now, before we close on let me give you these six things that a prophetic moment brings with it. A prophetic moment, a new prophetic moment in your life, a transition will bring this, these six things with it. Number one, it'll bring direction. When God's transitioning you, he's going to bring with it right away direction to you, specific direction on how to get you from where you're at to where you need to go. Number two, he's going to bring with it purpose. Everybody say purpose. You'll know why you're on the earth. You'll know, man, this hits me like a glove. This is just, this is what I was created to do. Thirdly, it'll discipline you. It'll give you a reason to get up every night, go to bed. It'll discipline you in doing what you need to do to do what, that, what you're called to do, whatever that gifting is. Number four, it'll motivate you. It'll motivate you. Like a coach motivates players. John was never, I never had to really motivate John much. Just, turn, just tell me he's going to play. And man, the fire came in his eyes. This guy went all out all the time. What John didn't like was when the rest of the guys didn't go all, all out with him. And they learned how not to do that, didn't you? Remember those days? Yeah. Number five, it'll bring increase to you. A new prophetic moment brings increase. And number six, it'll build God's kingdom. You'll build his kingdom. And like we said, when you build his kingdom, then you're going to see your castle taken care of. Let me close with this. You're going to go through and have gone through maybe in some case some difficult times. But the difficult times become part of your training and your equipping. So when things don't fit the mold, things happen to you that shouldn't happen, it's preparation. If God didn't stop it, say you're a tither. He said he would rebuke the devourer for your sake. If the devourer's not rebuked, then he knows you're going to overcome whatever you're facing. You will overcome it no matter how bad it seems to be. I refuse to have a bad day because the Bible says rejoice. This is the, Lord, the day the Lord's made. Re, rejoice and be glad in it. I can tell you when my wife passed away, it was not a bad day because I knew where she was. See? And God transitioned me out of that. I, asked, I finally got to the day I asked the question, why? Couldn't understand it. And the answer I got was this. I'll never answer that question this lifetime while you're on the earth and never ask me again. So what did that do to me? It put me in a position to do one of two things. Be mad at God the rest of my life or embrace God and trust him even more. And out of all that, I've changed even more so. It helped prepare me for what I'm doing next. Not that that had to happen, but it did happen. Amen. Say. 
I, I, I could have, I finally read what Paul wrote. He listed the things he went through, the near death three times, shipwrecking, hunger, all this stuff, beaten. And then I saw this. He said, neither life nor death can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Neither life nor death. Paul lost people close to him that were loved ones that died. I didn't realize that until I went through that. And out of that, that changed. Changed me. See. So what am I saying to you? No matter what you've been through, no matter what you go through, God sees all that. And then he uses even the bad to turn it into good to get you ready for your next spot with God. And in God's eyes, it's a spotlight. We see the stars in Hollywood in the spotlight. When God looks at a work to do on the earth and sees you fit that work, his light shines on you. And that light shining on you enables you to step from where you're at into what he has next to you. And when you step from that spotlight into another spotlight, this one is greater, bigger, grander than the one you came out of. And you'll reach more people. The question is, are you ready to step? Are you ready to move with God? Don't stay where you're at if he's asking you to move. And don't drag it with you. If he's asking you to move, don't cut off the relationships, but cut the thing off. I couldn't be a college baseball coach and travel preaching. I was doing it through baseball, but it doesn't work like it does now. If I had my way years ago, I'd right now still be professional baseball as a coach on the major league level. I would not have time to preach to people in churches. See, God knew all that. I had to cut it off. God demanded I cut it off. But when it got cut off, something new came. That was better than what I left. So remember that. He's not tormenting you. He's not dangling you like shark meat. He's purposeful. He's got a plan. We've got to do serious. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus, and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.